0: Welcome to the Trailbreaker Podcast. I'm Aaron Feinberg. In this podcast, I explore what it takes to be a Trailbreaker. Through intimate conversations with people carving new paths across the landscapes of business, art, and sport, we dig in on how to excel across seemingly disparate endeavors. What drives people who manage to succeed multidimensionally? Is it how they think? Is it meticulous planning and follow-through? Or is it some measure of delusional optimism? My guest today is Alex Yoder, co-founder and CEO of Overview Coffee and a Patagonia snowboarding ambassador. He's committed to tangible environmental activism, human connection, and harnessing the quiet power that comes from being a shy kid. We talked about his transition from anti-establishment snowboarder to CEO, why it's a privilege to be in a position to care, and why it's important to be mindful about how you participate in commerce. Hey, Alex, how are you?
1: Hey, Aaron, I'm good, how are you?
0: Fantastic, and thanks so much for joining the program. It's great to have you on.
1: It's good to be here, it's good to see you again.
0: So, where are you right now? I know you've been splitting time between Wyoming and Portland, and I think also occasionally some California time. So, where are you right now?
1: I'm currently in Wyoming, downtown Jackson.
0: Fantastic. And uh, is that where you're going to be for the winter?
1: Yeah, I'll be based here for the entirety of the winter. Um, No real travel plans this winter for pretty obvious reasons, but um, yeah, it's good to be back and it's definitely pretty snowy. So,
0: Yeah, the COVID kibosh has put everybody's travel in limbo, but you landed in a good spot. Jackson Hole in the wintertime is kind of like no other.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, in a lot of ways, Jackson is uh, is a you know geographic location that's pretty insulated from the world's problems. So it's a nice place to be in general.
0: Except for when the 700 million tourists come through in the summertime to watch Buffalo.
1: That's true. Get too close to the Buffalo.
0: <laughs> so how's this how's this landing in Jackson for the winter working with your new coffee company overview coffee in in, as far as it goes to being able to, to run that from, from Wyoming.
1: Um, so yeah, overview is a project that, um, you know, has come to life in the last six months, but it's been sort of in the ideation phase for a couple of years and it's, um, you know, it's interesting because it does kind of take me away from home. Our, our base of operations is in Portland. That's where we're roasting all of the coffee, packaging, and shipping. Um, but because of growing up in Jackson and the sort of community and connections I have here, we're actually doing the bulk of our sales in Jackson. So I can actually keep up with a lot of the business that we have going um, by being here. So I don't know if I unintentionally set it up that way or if I (laughs) just sort of happened into that structure. But um, yeah, it works out pretty well because I can split my time, be in Portland uh, predominantly in the summer and here predominantly in the winter. At least I think that's how it's going to go. This is sort of year one, so feeling it all out. Um, But uh, yeah, I have two, two partners in the business and they're both based in Portland. So I have all the faith in the world that they can keep the ship afloat and I can be out here and things will work
0: keep your customers in Jackson satisfied, get yeah. some, uh, customer reviews. And, uh, as someone who's drank the coffee, it is delicious. So thank, thank you. you for, uh, all that you are doing both for my morning ritual, as well as for the environment. It's a, uh, it's an honor. <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of why Portland, what was the impetus for, for basing out of there, roasting distribution, et cetera?
1: Yeah. So, um, The Portland decision was made on a few factors. One, most coffee is shipped via sea freight. So, you know, Portland being the land of ports, uh, it seems like a good opportunity to uh, just cut down on shipping. Um, So we were looking at, you know, the Los Angeles area, the Bay Area, Portland, and Seattle kind of as options to base the roasting facility and and the business out of. Um, And it turns out Portland is the most affordable West Coast city. um, And it Also happens to be a very um, collaborative city for small business. It's, you know, the culture there really supports um, entrepreneurship, startups, and um, especially sort of in the food sector. There's so many independent food businesses that have come from Portland and done well. um, And the local community just really supports people trying to do something new, especially when it's, um, you know, a company that is. Planning and uh, committed to benefiting the environment. Um, so yeah, Portland made sense for a number of reasons, and it's not too far from Jackson. So,
0: what when you say supporting? What does that actually look like from a brand new business? I mean, I get how a town can can show up and and be customers and be excited about something brand new, but um, what about Portland at, at the government level or at the you know, law level or even maybe deeper on the on the customer level makes it such a a spot to feel supported.
1: Well, you know, Portland's pretty interesting. It's um the I feel like the culture there is pretty anti-corporate in some senses. So like you know, the a large majority of the community shops um with their values. You know, people are very committed to how they participate in commerce. Um, So I think that lends itself to companies that have a bit more of a, you know, value-based backbone. Um, So, I mean, for instance, our, one of my partners in the business, Trevin Miller, is our roaster and our chief of operations. Um, And we met him because he is the owner of a collective coffee roasting facility where he owns a roaster and a warehouse um, and multiple coffee shops and cafes that roast their own coffee utilize that roaster um, and do all of their production um, in this sort of shared space. So we actually met him because we um, hired him to teach us how to roast. (laughs) And, And so it's you know, that's not an easy thing to find in every city. As a, as a guy who's so committed to roasting coffee, he wants to share that skill and teach other people how to do it and also create a space for, um, you know, small cafes to sort of lower their overhead by not having to buy a roaster.
0: Amazing. And, and your role at the company is what?
1: I am the chief executive officer, Aaron.
0: Well, you don't say. <laughs>
1: Look at you. It's a, yeah, I almost have, I think some people call it imposter syndrome. I I just sort of, um, yeah, being a professional snowboarder for so many years and and that uh, life pursuit being somewhat anti-establishment to, you know, bear the title CEO is a little weird. It's a tough pill for me to swallow, but um, it's all with good intentions. So I'm I'm behind it.
0: You got it out of your mouth fairly smoothly this time, so... (laughs) it's obvious it's it's starting to stick. Yeah. What was that transition like? Well, I guess let me start with this. Is this your first business that you are creating from the ground up? Yeah, no, it, it
1: definitely is. Um, you know, I can look at my career as a snowboarder, as an entrepreneurial venture as well. Um, you know, there's a lot that I've just sort of, you know, I um, imagined and brought to life with the help of the brands that support me as a snowboarder and you know I'm speaking about creating documentary films and and things of that nature um, where I'd you know seen it done but never done it but sort of knew how the pieces to the puzzle fit together and brought those things to life um, and so yeah I mean functionally this is the first business I've created um, The transition is you know it's interesting i've never spent this much time on a computer before you know aside from editing photos and sort of you know catching up on emails from time to time like this is a much more committed um sort of role in keeping things going um but yeah i mean there's so many different routes i could sort of or ways i can answer that question but
0: Well, that's fine. We'll, we'll, we'll dig in and and it'll all come out if it's supposed to. With, with it known, you know, anybody who studies small business or talks to anybody in business, it's, it is that sort of mindset you've got to commit. You've got to be willing to throw everything into it, both energetically, financially, uh, you know, time-wise, but you've got, you've got your life split between still being a professional athlete in the winter and also running an, an upstart coffee company. And, and so have you been able to, have you been able to create an existence where you're not constantly going at all hours of the day, or it does that old sort of rule, fall you know fall true for you meaning like are you just fried all the time right now or do you have you figured out some sort of magic bullet to to keep it a little more balanced
1: yeah I mean it's it's fascinating to think about that and to find the ways to sort of um, smooth the the bumpy road if you will but I think you know being a snowboarder and pursuing that path I've developed a um, and just growing up skateboarding and doing all these like risk Associated sports. Like, I've developed a pretty high tolerance for risk. Um, And also, like, a lot of the snowboarding I do, it's, you know, self supported and human powered. So I'm spending eight hours sometimes, like, walking up a mountain, and then the run down is like two minutes, you know? (laughs) So I kind of have that philosophy in mind when it comes to business. Like, I know it's going to be a lot of work to gain a little bit of traction. Um, And so I'm, you know, I'm balancing these things by just working the, you know, working when obviously I have to, um, but it's it's really exciting because I want to. So I'm finding times like, you know, if I'm snowboarding during the day, um, I can still get five hours of work in, in the evening and, and not be totally fried because it's one you know, I'm diving into a totally new world that I don't know as intimately as I know sort of the outdoor industry and and the mountains and, you know, this world that I've been of for um, the majority of my life. And coffee is just a whole new world and and there's a lot for me to learn. So I'm I'm pretty, um, you know, stimulated by what I am able to participate in with this new venture. So I think that's really keeping it exciting.
0: Yeah, it doesn't always feel like work, and I think that cliche is true mm-hmm. when you're when you're on a path that you've defined and is and is really your path. So, given what you've experienced so far with this venture, what would you say would be the an unexpected, awesome bonus of doing this that you would not have been able to describe before? And then what's sort of your biggest pet peeve or your uh, if you had your, Alex showed magic wand. You could wave it and make that thing disappear.
1: Yeah, I guess. Um, what was the first part? Sorry, that how would you? It, repeat it never that helps.
0: When, it never helps when the interviewer asks you more than one question. Sorry about that. Mm. Uh, what That's what if? What would you say your most surprising positive or benefit from starting this coffee company? Something that you like, wow, this is awesome that you would not have been able to predict about being a business owner.
1: Yeah, I really, I've been amazed and and humbled by the amount of support I've felt from just my friend group, my community, people um, who I don't even know, but follow me on Instagram um, that see this venture as like a, you know, an inspiring pursuit or an example of, you know, leveraging one's um, sort of opportunities in life or privilege or, you know, however you sort of um, describe having a stable enough foundation as, you know, a person who's had success in one thing to then go on and pursue another thing with um, that tolerance for risk. I think, uh, yeah, I've just had so much, like, love there's uh, you know there's a few people um that are our first subscribers you know <laughs> that are you know it's really funny because between the three of us that founded this business it's it's really my network that is our customer base mm. right now so all the orders that come through not all of them but um a lot of them are you know names i recognize or members of my family or um you know my snowboarding family and um yeah that that belief in you know what I am pursuing and, and what I'm sort of seeking to create is is really inspiring
0: yeah having that uh, that authentic brand the values the the things that sort of emanate off of you and you get to spend time with you uh, it, you know it's it has filtered in to, to the way that your company, looks and feels. And you guys have done a good job on the, on the marketing and on the branding. And I know that it, it had, it had been, I think it had been something else. It had been called something else before and, and watching what it turned into as an overview, it, it feels super, super tight and super clean as a connection to you. And so I think that's a, such an important thing you know is to figure out who you are and then to stay with that and i feel like that in knowing you as a person knowing you as an athlete knowing you as a filmmaker and knowing you as now a business person you don't feel like you're talking to somebody different you know when you're in those different scenarios which i think is is super core and people need to really pay attention to that and i guess is that something you are very conscious about and do on purpose or is it a little bit more uh, just in the f- way you approach life, your flow and just the the things you're gravitating towards just organically?
1: Yeah, I guess I haven't really um, broken that down so much or thought that much about it, but I, I think I do have a, a pretty um, sort of solidified value set or or sort of moral compass. Um, And so I do filter, you know, everything I do, every brand that I work with, um, every sort of pursuit or or, um, story that I want to tell, it definitely goes through that filter. And and I want to, you know, um, not compromise my values or my integrity in in any way or any aspect of my life. So I'm quite particular and sensitive and <laughs> I can't help but just uh, do things the way that feel right. Like if it feels off, I just, I can't be a part of it. I, I, even if it's a, you know, a financial opportunity or, or something, I'm just, if it goes sort of against the grain of, of the way I feel and, and what feels right to me, I'm just not, not
0: open to it. Makes sense. Uh, and you know you have a particular energy about you you know that's soft-spoken peaceful thoughtful um, obviously talented across a bunch of different realms one thing i'm curious about is to pull off some of the things that you do whether it's risky stuff in the mountains or or risk in business throwing big dollars at something you know often what we see in other parts of pop culture etc is that person who's really got that edge that grit that like kind of in your face explosive thing and you have that output like you produce that but is that a switch you have that you turn on inside that only you can see or do you just approach it from an entirely different way to sort of peak perform you know and it and it And it maybe feels inside to you the way that I just described it, just more easeful, flowy, but still at, you know, 199 miles an hour.
1: Um, First of all, thank you. That's very complimentary. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I, uh, you know, I, for a while in my sort of early um, foray into, into professional snowboarding, um, you know, I've realized, I think at age, 13 or 12, that people um, got paid to ride snowboards. And at that point, it was my favorite thing to do. And I said, well, if people get paid to ride snowboards, I'm going to get paid to ride snowboards. And so there was a pretty obvious path um, of, you know, how to get paid to ride snowboards. And it it really sort of um, consisted of doing, sort of progressing what you could do physically on a snowboard year over year and being very impressive with those tricks um and that that path that I'd seen like the beaten path to be a pro snowboarder it it took a pretty aggressive attitude like you had to you had to face a lot of fears you had to like get pumped up and go huge off some jumps and and that's sort of like this identity that I got consumed by and and all the while in those you know years that I was starting to sort of gain traction in that career and um sort of like Build my name, if you will. I didn't feel like myself. You know, I felt like I was, I was chasing this um, persona of what I perceived to be the only route for a professional athlete. Um, and I think that sort of, in some ways, relates to what you're asking in terms of you know the the general pro- general persona of someone who's like out there like making change, like getting it, like being successful is someone who's maybe holding their phone and, and filming themselves, giving people advice around like seizing the day and, you know, like taking every chance you get to make a dollar whatever it is. And, um, and I, I just sort of literally and, and figuratively hit a wall. Like I had a, in a crash where I came up short on this gap jump. Um, and I, I, hit my jaw and my knee and I had this really bad concussion and um at that point I started to really question this path and and sort of ask myself you know critically should I keep doing this um and I don't know if it was luck or or serendipity or fate or what it was but I found myself in Japan the following year um and I met this group of snowboarders who are um so Fundamentally different as you know, snowboard professionals than everything I'd ever known. Um, and their pursuit in snowboarding is really focused on the, the act um, of turning the snowboard, like the simplest act. You know, it's, it's very much in line with um, certain like Buddhist or Zen philosophies where you can gain as much joy out of you know, watching waves crash in the ocean as you can by trying to ride them. Um, so I think, I don't know, it was just profound when I actually found myself among these people who I felt more energetically connected with or on the same page as, um, that I sort of, without sounding too, um, corny or (laughs) like a storybook, I sort of like found myself in that, um, and, and from that point on, I felt like I was really able to harness that quiet power um, and sort of be more okay with that being my path in life and, and my way of walking um, versus trying to just emulate what existed to gain success.
0: How does that all roll into getting comfortable with that CEO title and how you want to run this coffee company.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I think timing's on my side as well. You know, like this this era is a lot different. I think there's a lot more um, there's a lot of work to do in terms of accessibility and into business and into um, you know a lot of different areas of our society. But um, for me to feel comfortable, um, you know, standing up and saying I'm a CEO of a business it just doesn't feel that weird anymore. I feel like our, this, you know, my generation, the one below me, I'm 31 years old, um, born in 89. So just barely scratched out of the eighties. Yeah. I think, I think my generation is, you know, one of the first that's been told if you set your mind to something, you can make it a reality. And, um, and I think, you know, the, the life as a snowboarder it really teaches you that too like you literally lay in bed at night and think about this thing that you could do with your body in the air and like how it would feel and the next day you strap the board on your feet and you go and hit a jump and you try that and sometimes you just land it you know so there's this kind of dream it do it um, mentality that has been burned into my (laughs) existence and um so yeah I think I think I'm, I'm comfortable taking the risk and pursuing something that's outside of my comfort zone um only because I believe it's possible
0: smart words you know you have to you got to think it and then you have to have the courage to move your feet and then you have to have the commitment to follow your path and tune out what everybody else thinks you should be doing. And, uh, with, with this company, it's, it's how many people now?
1: There are technically four people, um, three co-founders and then, um, a good friend of mine who's doing all of our, uh, creative direction. He's doing the branding, packaging, um, and everything that has to do with the sort of brand imagery.
0: And, and obviously what I'm about to ask, it might not be super relevant yet because of the size of the company. And so, you know, take it however you want to, but when you think about how you want to lead this company, and I don't mean the values around overview and, and what it stands for, but assuming you have 10, 20, 50 people working for you, what do you want to, show up as as a leader and you know i think when you were talking about your generation and you know and a lot of the folks i get to work with at some of these big companies and even some of the young leaders moving up you know there's been a fantastic swing in the tides of of the leadership set of skills and the competencies it's like it's not just that person screaming in the front and demanding and, you know, inspiring and et cetera. It's, it's all different shapes and styles of leadership and of personality. And, and there has to be a fit, right? It's gotta be the right fit for that company and the right leader for the people that you hired. So just thinking about that big old broad topic as it pertains to also who you are as a person and, and how do you think you're going to lead?
1: And yeah, that's, um, that's a good one it's it's been so you know this sort of um dive into entrepreneurship has has been so um improvisational you know i'm definitely figuring it out as i go but when i think about as you know as I sort of grow into this CEO role and and I'm forced to learn how to be a leader of an organization because it's something I haven't done before. I, I've sort of fallen into um, leadership roles in, in these productions of films and on certain trips and things. And I feel like I'm capable of sort of seeing what the objective is and, and getting everyone on board and to work toward a common goal. Um, but I have, you know, I've been uh, a part of a lot of companies and Patagonia specifically is a company that I'm very um, close to and have worked with for about a decade. And, and so I've seen how large um, companies operate. And so I've definitely spent a lot of time thinking about, okay, what does this look like when there's a hundred employees at overview, you know, how does this expand? And I do really want it to be an organization where i um, You know, we don't have this top-down flow chart with um, this sort of typical organizational structure of, um, um, yeah, like the hierarchy, right? I think there's obviously a place for that and there needs to be people that um, answer to other people or people that guide other people. But I really want the organization to feel like we're all standing in a circle and we're looking toward the goal that's in the middle you know, and we're standing next to each other and we're working together sort of on the same playing field, on the same plane. Um, and I think that's what a value-driven business can really cultivate. Uh, and I've noticed that at Patagonia. Um, it's, you know, some people accuse it of being cult-like, you know. but I think if any cult's goal is to um, preserve and protect the habitat that survives all of us, um, then sure. I'm, I'm cool with it. That's
0: That's a cult I'd like to be in.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, for me, it's really, um, it's imperative that I truly live the values of the company, the company values that, you know, I've, um, as you've talked about sort of like embodied in- inherently, um, but translating that into text and into imagery and into um, you know, these sort of um, morals that people can be a part of and feel a part of um, and feel supported by um, and motivated by, I think that's going to be you know the real challenge because I also sort of um, thrive on subtlety. And and I can't you know I I I can't expect everyone to um, necessarily just get it um, with with a nudge and a nod you know so I think um, being able to sort of uh, you know synthesize these these morals and and these values of the business and and make it memorable and. exciting for people to be a part of is, is really important.
0: Yeah. Well, you're in a, you're in a good spot because the thing, one of the things that is required of a founder or CEO is, is the willingness to take the leap and to operate with very limited information to the belief that you can make it happen, that, that, you know, you've got the grit and the risk tolerance. And so a lot of this stuff can get figured out, including, you know, you may wind up being in a position where, you know, you grow your your skill sets and capacities beyond what you could even imagine now, or you might realize that that your secret sauce should remain in its sort of pure form and you'll put people around you, right? You'll put a right-hand man or woman next to you or someone just underneath you that fills in those gaps that your organization will need. And I think what you said earlier about you know, having a, a structure of the company that feels like everybody's in it together, and you know, it's a circle, et cetera, and it immediately made me think of what your company is all about, which is very much that. You know, we are a coffee company. It's we're all in this together. We've gotta, we've gotta take care of the earth. We've we are a part of it. It's a big circle. We've gotta uh, what we what we do and matters to the earth, what we put in us matters and and the whole process matters. And I think that's, uh, yeah, keeping that peppered through the whole growth of this thing, it'll be really important.
1: Definitely. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, I I think that's a good way to sort of perceive how we need to act together to combat the climate crisis and, and the way that we are allowing commerce to sort of drive the degradation of our planet. It's, you know, it's, we have to think of it as this shoulder to shoulder project. You know, we're all in this together, whether we're halfway across the world, whether you know, we can speak each other's language or not, it's really important to sort of adhere to those values. And for a lot of us you know, in the position to care and be an environmentalist, that's a privilege in itself. And most of the people who are feeling the immediate effects of, you know, the developed world's commercial exploits um, are the people that um, are doing things like growing our coffee, you know? It's, there's an amazing sort of um, divide or um, imbalance in the developed and the developing world. And, you know, in the context of coffee, and this is something that's been so fascinating to me is, you know, 90 something like 95%, let's say, it's, it's probably mid to high 90s of um, coffee that's grown is shipped out of its origin. So most of that coffee is going to the USA, Europe, Japan, um, Scandinavia. Right. And most of it's grown in Central America, South America, Africa, Southeast, Southeast Asia. Um, so a lot of these farmers, you know, that are producing this delicious coffee that, you know, we are buying and roasting have never even tasted it. And so for us to be in this position to start a business in United States of America and the developed world and create a system that gives back that considers the impact of climate change on these farmers the fact that they could lose um their farm with a you know an extreme weather event that is caused by climate change mm. like demonstrably like it's it's scientifically proven um so that to me is sort of what drives this philosophy and 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 Really, what I think about in in this pursuit is it is truly a privilege to care, to have to be in a place to care and to create a business that is trying to help is an amazing privilege. So,
0: you know, as you were talking earlier about finding or refinding yourself from your early days as a pro- or as a snowboarder, going from sort of the sort of a little more aggro back to yeah maybe who you are now, made me think of this other question, which is, have you always cared like this? Y- you know, it's, it's palatable and awesome. And, you know, is it something you've developed and cultivated over time just through the things you've experienced? Or have you been like this since, since you were little and it's just what you've cared about, you know, has just shifted a little bit?
1: I'm not sure. I, I think um, I, the stories I'm told, and I don't have a ton of memories from childhood. I don't know if it has to do with the concussions or if it's uh, if it's just you know the way um, my brain works or what. But um, I know I was a really shy kid, and and my parents talked about um, you know they called me like a little Buddha when I was a baby, and I was very peaceful. And um, but I, I like I remember you know, my childhood and adolescence, like being very shy. Um, and so, you know, I think if I take personality tests or, you know, <laughs> kind of dive into that world, I'm like um, the individualist or an introvert or, you know, however those show up. And um, so I guess in some ways I've always been sort of sensitive and maybe that's lent itself to finding this path. But I remember specifically speaking or answering your question more directly um and when i was 16 i was really motivated to um somehow get sponsored by volcom because i just thought volcom was the coolest you know it was like youth against establishment it's this very core like surf skate snow brand and um i was talking to my dad one night and i was telling him like oh i might have this contact at volcom i think i'm gonna like you know maybe get some gear and um he, he suggested that I think about working with a company like Patagonia. It's like, what about Patagonia? They, they have great values. They make, you know, great stuff. I think he made a joke about getting him free fishing waiters. Um, have you gotten him fishing waiters yet? Yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah. Good. Yeah. He's, he is, uh, he's decked out. People poke, uh, poke fun at us. Cause we kind of like have the same clothes. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, I think, um, you know, that 16 year old me grew up a lot Um, by the time I joined Patagonia when I was 21. And um, I'd sort of, you know, read a few books in that time about, you know, the destruction of the planet based on, you know, short-term profits and, and sort of how things have naturally sort of evolved. Like, I find it so fascinating when, you know, a good example is when plastic was invented and started to be you know widely utilized it it was a miracle yeah you know (laughs) here's this like film that we can make out of oil that's something we're already pulling out of the ground and and we can um you know preserve food with it and you can see through it and like it's disposable and lightweight and you can ship products in it this is great right obviously it took not that much time a, a few decades to realize how impactful it was in a negative way but that's how things happen, you know, in, in evolution. And especially with this, you know, massive population of creatures with opposable thumbs and, and big brains and large ambitions, it's, <laughs> we, we, we can't help but get ourselves in, into some sticky situations. So yeah, I mean, without too much elaboration, I think I've sort of naturally evolved into this way of perceiving um, life and opportunity.
0: We need more of you, Alex Yoder. (laughs) You're now you're now a big Buddha. Big Buddha. Big Buddha. Well, big Buddha. And uh in closing, what what's next? You've obviously you've got the coffee company, you've got your snowboarding career. That's plenty. But is there anything else on your horizon? Either little pet project, little hobby that we don't know about, um, anything that uh that when you do have some more time, you'll, you'll sink your teeth into.
1: Yeah. You know, my, I've always been, um, excited about creativity and like somehow creating, you know, art and, and lately it's really manifested in photography. So I'm, I'm just, you know, um, getting nudged by, um, my girlfriend a lot to do like a photo show or a book or something like that. And, and those are things that are, in the back of my mind, a lot of the time when I'm working on other projects that are more immediate, um, but yeah, I'm always kind of nerding out with the small collection of uh, film and digital cameras that I have, and um, yeah, I still I still really enjoy the process of documentary filmmaking as well and storytelling, and um, I think what's really exciting about Overview is you know there's going to be a lot of opportunities to visit places I've never been and sort of um, you know, learn new stories from new people, and um, hopefully share some of those stories through a new platform that you know we develop with this company. And um, yeah, it's it's all really exciting.
0: It sounds like a perfect combination of a lot of the parts of your life: coffee, documentary film, doing good things for the world, and getting those stories out there. So. All the best and good luck with that. And uh, I wish you and those around you a fantastic 2021 and looking forward to the next time we cross paths.
1: Yeah, man. Likewise. Thanks so much for uh, having me. It's good to chat and uh, yeah, I really appreciate it.
0: All right. Take care. You too.